0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Verses
1: 7 through 19. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I'm reading from the ESV version. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief.
0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. And uh, we ask you to please um, help us understand it. There's a lot uh, here, but it all goes together. And so uh, we just pray you'd give us minds to understand. Help me to communicate, Lord, um, clearly. And, uh, yeah, help us to understand clearly and hear clearly. We submit ourselves now to you, to your Holy Spirit. It's in, his, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I happened to be looking at a, a list the other day from, uh, from the CDC, from the Centers for Disease Control. It was kind of a depressing list. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I was looking at this, this list from the CDC. And, and it was a, a list of the 10 leading causes of death here in the United States. And uh, this was, it was, a, it was the most recent year where they had full data, so it was 2021. So not last year, but the year before. And uh, there were not a lot of surprises on the list. It was a lot of the things you'd expect to be on there, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, strokes, accidents. Those were all in the top you know, four and higher. Those were some of them. Um, COVID was on the list. That, that's kind of one that hopefully will go away after a little while, but it was actually in third. It, COVID was number three in 2021 in terms of causes of death here in the united states Uh, but number one on the list was not a surprise and it's probably not going to change anytime soon Uh, according to the statistics from the cdc the the leading cause of death in our country is heart disease heart disease Uh, just under 700,000 people 700,000 people in 2021 died because of of heart disease related things I'm obviously not a doctor, but I think it's safe to say that heart disease is dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Maybe one of the biggest dangers most of us will face uh, in our lives. The same thing can be said about spiritual heart disease. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today in this passage. Spiritual heart disease is also very dangerous. In fact, I think you can make a pretty good case it's even more dangerous than, than the physical kind. We are continuing this morning in our series through Hebrews. Uh, two weeks ago, we did... Last week, we took a little detour to Galatians. But, but uh, two weeks ago, we, we did the first six verses of chapter 3. And we learned that Jesus is greater than Moses. And actually, a lot of the stuff we're looking at in the next few chapters are connected to this thread, but it was, it was the, the main point of verses 1 through 6. Uh, Jesus is greater than Moses. And again, this is part of the author's uh, larger argument for the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is greater than everything. And so first two chapters, he's greater than the angels. Uh, now chapter 3, he's also greater than Moses. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how you know why is Jesus greater than Moses? Well, he is greater... Uh, greater glory and a greater position. Greater glory than Moses, greater the position than Moses. And then we, we kind of talked about how that, what that means to us today. I mean, so what if Jesus is greater than Moses? Um, well, what does that matter? And we kind of looked at three takeaways there at the end. and And the third takeaway, so basically what we left off with had to do with faithfulness. There was this emphasis on faithfulness, the supremacy of Jesus, because both uh, Moses was faithful, but then Jesus was faithful, and, and so because, and Jesus is greater than Moses, and so because Jesus is greater, we should be faithful to Jesus. That was the third takeaway we talked about. That is exactly where we pick up today. That's where uh, verse 7, and, the, and really through the end of this chapter, actually into chapter 4 too, uh, is all about. It, it's, it's the focus is faithfulness, and specifically, it's a warning. The, the focus on faithfulness takes the form of a warning in this passage. This is a warning passage. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, further back, probably five or six weeks ago, I think, um, we uh, I, I told you that Hebrews, this longish book can be organized around five warnings. So if you were to sit down and try to outline the book of Hebrews, uh, one good way to outline it would be to, to organize it around these five warnings. There are five warnings scattered throughout the book, spaced apart uh, more or less evenly. And, and so we looked at one warning already. It was the one that started chapter 2. right? So the warning number 1 was in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. And so the first thing that the author warns us about is don't drift away from the Lord, right? And again, the the big picture theme is is endurance, courageous endurance. Don't don't give up on God. And so warning number one we looked at a few weeks ago was uh, don't drift away. Don't be like a boat that just gets untied from the dock and just without even knowing what's happening just drifts away. Don't be like that this is warning number two so number two of five this one has a different danger it's focusing on this time the danger is a hard heart the danger of a hard heart or as i'm calling it this morning spiritual heart disease and and the main point of this text this morning is that we have to beware of it beware of the danger of spiritual heart disease take it seriously Right? Our physical doctors will tell us to take physical heart disease seriously. Well, I get to be a spiritual doctor this morning, or more, better, the author of Hebrews is a spiritual doctor this morning, telling us the same thing. Beware, beware of this danger. I want to take a similar approach to, to what we did when we looked at warning number one. It's just going to break into two parts. First, we'll look at the warning itself uh, and the danger, really. So what, what's the danger here? So we'll do that in the first half, and then the second half, we're going to talk about prevention. So what do we do to prevent it? What can we do to protect ourselves from getting spiritual heart disease, from letting our hearts become hardened? So that's a real simple outline this morning. I'm just going to look at it that way. So we'll start with the danger itself, so the danger of spiritual heart disease. And I want to look at this in two pieces. The first piece is just what it looks like. Right? What does it look like? If you're going to diagnose and treat an illness, you need to, uh, you need to know the symptoms. So let's talk about the symptoms. Right? What are the symptoms? What's the symptom of spiritual heart disease? Well, there's actually a lot in these verses, and we're going to kind of look at some of the supporting material, but the author sums it up for us. Thankfully, he sums it up for us in verse 12, and, and it's the word unbelief, unbelief. That's so if you say, what does a spiritually hardened heart look like? What does a spiritually hardened heart look like? It's, it is a heart of unbelief. It's a heart that does not believe God. It doesn't have its faith in him it says this in verse 12. So so verse 12 is is the actual warning in this text. A lot of the material around it, most of the rest of what we're looking at today, I'm going to call it supporting material, uh, which doesn't mean it's less important, but just my my point is that the main warning is in verse 12, and then the rest of the stuff helps us understand it. So I actually want to jump to verse 12, and here's what verse 12 says. He says, take care, Take care, brothers, and we've talked about how that word brings in sisters too. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So take care, he says. That word can be translated different ways, and you'll see that depending on the translation you're looking at. Some translations say, watch out. Some say, take heed. Some say, be careful. You get the point. Beware, right? There's a danger here we need to beware of. And in this case, he tells us what the danger is. The danger is an evil, unbelieving heart, a heart that that does not believe, right? So that's the danger we're talking about. So what is a hard heart? What is a spiritually diseased heart? It's a heart that does not believe, that does not believe God. Okay, that's good. That gives me a category, but can you tell me more? yes he tells us more uh, and this is where the other stuff comes in uh, he shows us what a heart of unbelief looks like what a heart of unbelief does uh, by taking us back he takes us back into israel's history uh, and remember we're he's writing to jewish christians right so jews who as most of them as adults because it's very early on uh, had converted to jesus christ so they were jews but now they're jewish christians And so Israel's history is very, very important to them. It's important to you and me too, but it's very important to them. So he takes them back to their own history, takes them back to the the era of the Exodus, takes them back to to the days of Moses. The Lord delivered, right? So the Lord delivered uh, the Israelites from Egypt. He used Moses to do that. The plagues, the Pharaoh, the Red Sea, the whole thing. He, He did all of that for them. And within days, some of them wanted to go back. He delivered them, and they, they, they wanted to go back. They did not believe. Uh, this is what he, the author rehearses for us in verses 7 through 11. And so if you're looking at a Bible, or even an online Bible will do this, uh, it's probably broken out as a, a, a quote. And, and it's probably in the form of, of like something poetic. And the reason for this is that he quotes a psalm. Uh, you'd expect him to go to exodus if he was going to talk to us about about exodus but he doesn't go to exodus he doesn't go to one of those books uh, he goes to uh, psalm 95 and so that's what we're looking at verses 7 through 11 are a quote from psalm 95 i'm actually going to read this part to you psalm 95 is um it's a short psalm it's only 11 verses and the first half of it is all praise It's the kind of thing you do at the beginning of a worship service, makes a wonderful call to worship, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. (laughs) Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Uh, Let us worship and bow down, verse 6. And so you get this really hearty, let's praise God. And then the second half of the psalm is basically these words right here. Don't screw it up. Don't, don't, don't let your heart become hard, is the second half of the psalm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it from the psalm. If you just look at the verses in Hebrews, it's almost the same. The only differences come in from the fact that this is written in Hebrew and this is written in Greek. Um, all in English for us. But. So, so Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, uh, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore on my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So Psalm 95 actually takes us back to two times, two two periods, two events in Israel's history. Um, and, And that's why he grabs them in Hebrews 3, because they were both instances where Israel's heart was hardened by unbelief, right? So that's why he's taking us back to this. This is an illustration of what he's talking about when he talks about a hard heart. Um, we're not, we do not have time to go to these two episodes, but I'm just gonna remind you of what they are and tell you where, the, you, you where they are so you could go find them if you wanted to and you could study them on your own. But here's these two things. The first is in Exodus 17. And that's the one that occurs within days or a week or two. I should have went back and checked the timing, but it's very soon after they've crossed through the Red Sea. So it's Exodus chapter 17. Uh, God's just delivered them. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea, and then they get thirsty because you get thirsty in the wilderness. They get thirsty, but instead of trusting that the Lord who did all that at the Red Sea is going to be able to give them water too, they start to grumble and complain. They grumble and complain. Let's go back. There's no water here. And the Lord tells Moses, smack a rock, smack a rock with a stick, his staff. And he does. And the water comes out, and they've got water. But, but there, there's this grumbling and complaining. That's Exodus 17. The second episode, and he kind of mashes them together in the psalm. Uh, the second one he's talking about happens about a year later. It's recorded in Numbers 14. And that's the chapter where Moses sends the spies into the promised land. So they, they kind of do some wandering, they get the law, and then Moses uh, sends the spies, go, go see how great this place is, come back and tell us what it looks like. The spies go, they come back, they say, yeah, it looks pretty great, but we can't do it. The giants, you know, the people are too big, the cities are too big, the walls are tall, God can't handle it, let's go back to Egypt. That's Numbers chapter 14. In both instances, is the Israelites had a bad case of spiritual heart disease. That, that's why the author of Hebrews takes us back to, to that quote from Psalm 95. Their hearts were hardened by unbelief. And so what he does with that, those two examples back now in Hebrews is he's showing us, you know, so we say, well, what, do you, what do you mean a heart of unbelief? What does it look like to have a heart of unbelief? What would I think? Well, how would I act? How, what, how would I know if, if I was in danger of lapsing into that? Well, let's look at the example of Israel a heart of unbelief, complains against the Lord's guidance. I don't like where he's leading me. I don't like it. I know better than he does. I should run my own life. Uh, It grumbles against his provision. It's ungrateful for what he gives. Remember uh, that whole period when the author gives us these two, he's kind of grabbing the whole wilderness mess. Uh, Oh, Oh, manna, manna's kind of bland. It's kind of boring. They start complaining about the manna. Right? It grumbled. They grumbled against his provision. Um, they strayed from his presence. It says that in verse 10. They always go astray in their hearts. Uh, they're avoiding God. They're ignoring God. They're staying away from God. That's why they're ignorant of God's ways. It says that as well in the psalm and gets quoted here in Hebrews. Um, they neither know nor do the things that God wants them to do. That's that. Those are those are you know, again. We can look at Israel's history. We're going to be told later in this book that these things happen to them as an as an example to us. And so, we if we wonder what what does it look like to fall into this, what would this spiritually hard heart look like? Well, look at what Israel did in the wilderness. It, that's what it looks like. Our author again very helpfully summarizes all of that in verse thirteen. He summarizes it. He calls it the deceitfulness of sin, right? The deceitfulness of sin. A spiritually hard heart is a heart. uh, This is what we're supposed to be guarding against. We'll get to that part in a little bit. But the end of verse 13, that none of you may be hardened, have that diseased heart by the deceitfulness of sin. So what else does a hard heart, what does a spiritually diseased heart do? It, It buys the lies. It buys the lies. A spiritually hard heart believes the lies that sin and the devil tell us about the world. And about God. Right? And so you know, it's the same thing he told them in the wilderness. God's provision isn't good enough for you. You need better. You need more. You don't have enough. You need something else. You you your you know your your house isn't enough. Your clothes aren't enough. The, your husband or your wife isn't enough. You should have married somebody else. Right, or if you're you know, if you're a single person, you know it's it's too hard to wait for marriage. Nobody does that anymore. You know, just just do what you want to do. All these different, I could, I could talk for 10 minutes and just list lies, all the different lies that, 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 that sin, the devil, the world, sometimes our own, uh, our own frailty peddle to us. And, and that's what a hardened heart does. It believes those things. A, a, a diseased, a spiritually diseased heart diseased heart uh, believes the lies of the devil. It's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it says in verse 13. That, that's what, and again, we're gonna get there, but that's what we have to guard ourselves against. So that's what it looks like, deceitfulness of sin. Forgot to put my slide up. So it's, it's a heart of unbelief that is buying the lies of sin, that falls for the deceitfulness of sin. What happens if we give in to that? Or if, if, if somebody gives into that, where does it lead? Really what we're asking now is what's so dangerous about it? Right? What's so dangerous about that? Well, the answer that the scripture gives us is that, it, that it's a danger because it leads to exclusion from God's rest. And so it's exclusion from God's rest. Physical heart disease will take you to the emergency room. Spiritual heart disease, if not treated, uh, leads to hell. It leads to eternal death. Exclusion from God's rest. That's what this is talking about. The author says this in two places in our text. Uh, the first one's in verse 12. He says in verse 12, An evil, unbelieving heart leads people to fall away from the living God. So what's, what's an, evil heart, an unbelieving heart going to do? Why do we have to beware of it? Well, it's, it's going to, it leads you to fall away from the living God. Last part of verse 12. So a spiritually hard heart leads to falling away, leads to exclusion, right? And, and, uh, and, and so it says that there and, and that's what happened to Israel, right? That's why he's talking so much about Israel here. And he's going to keep quoting this deep into chapter four. He's going to keep us focused on this story, um, Israel, they, God swore when they wouldn't believe him, when they wouldn't trust him, when they let their hearts be hardened, when they hardened their hearts against him, um, he said, Well, then that's it. You will not enter my rest. And that's that, the way that psalm ends. They will not enter my rest. The author re, uh, reiterates this in verses 18 and 19. And so if you look at this text, Uh, There's a little bit of intentional redundancy here. So you get the quote in verses 7 through 11. And then in verses 16 through 19, he basically walks us through it again. This time, not with the quote. This time, it's with a series of questions. So it's almost like a catechism. He asks us, he's basically walking us through the story he reminded us of in verses 7 through 11. And so in verse 18, he spells it out. He says, and to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Right? And so we see, verse 19, that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. And so in two places, this text tells us that this spiritually hard heart, if not treated, if not dealt with, leads to uh, exclusion, exclusion from God's rest. Now, for Israel, this is Hebrews, we always got to kind of run it through the, the paradigm here. For Israel, that meant the promised land, right? And that's what he, you know, verses 7 through 11, um, that the Exodus generation was excluded, Everyone, with the exception of two men, Joshua and Caleb, two, two men, the two spies who said, no, we can do it, let's go, our God is bigger than their giants. Those two guys were allowed to enter the promised land. Everyone else was, exclude, was, was disqualified from the promised land. So that's what it meant for Israel. What does it mean for us? Because we're, we're not living in Israel. We live in Iowa, and we, and we don't need to go live in Israel. It's right? that, a new covenant. That's not what it's about for us anymore. So what does it mean for us? When we start talking about God's rest in the book of Hebrews under the new covenant, what's God's rest? We're talking about two things, two things in our context. We're talking about rest in this life, right? When Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It's that, it's rest and peace in this life. And then he's also talking about rest in the life to come. So it's, two, it's, it's rest here and it's rest there. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in the next sermon, because if you think this one's long, you should see, you know, I mean, we, we could have treated all of this together, because it runs all the way through chapter 4, this whole theme of rest. Uh, and so I'm actually not going to go any further in, in, into those two. I hope to come back to them, but, but that's what it is. So it's not a physical place for us. It's the peace that passes all understanding in this life, the rest that jesus gives and then it's the eternal rest of heaven that's what we're, we're wrestling with here and so the author's point the author's point is that if we don't hold fast to our faith if we persist in unbelief instead then we'll miss out on that rest i mean that, that's what it says right if we if if we have a heart of unbelief we miss out on the rest that's the warning if we do not believe God, we will be excluded from his rest, just like the Israelites who rebelled in the wilderness. And so the stakes of this, you see why this warning is so serious. Maybe that's how I found myself looking at, at those statistics, I guess. Uh, it's, it's high stakes stuff. It's high stakes stuff. A spiritually diseased heart is dangerous. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about how to prevent it. Right? We need to know how to prevent this from happening to us. Uh, before I get to prevention, though, I got to answer a question. We got to stop and ask a question that I know some of you have right now, and you're going to keep having it because Hebrews. So, we will, I, I, will, I will, I'm going to probably cut and paste this because I'm going to use it in future sermons. Uh, we are going to keep coming back to this question over and over again in this book because Hebrews raises the question. Here's the question Is the book of Hebrews saying, is this passage saying that we can lose our salvation? That's the question. Whenever somebody wrestles with that, we call it you know, the security of the believer. Whenever somebody has that question, it's almost always because they've been reading Hebrews. Or maybe the devil's been attacking them. But it's, it, it so often comes back to this book. So is that what's going on here? Is the author saying that spiritual heart disease can cause a born-again believer to become unborn again? Is that what this is teaching? The biblical answer, the full biblical, whole counsel of God answer is No. No, we cannot lose our salvation. Uh, Jesus says so. Jesus says so in John. So it's, I lo- there's several, I could show you this doctrine from lots of places, but I love the John 10 one because it's just so clear to me. Uh, John chapter 10, uh, verse 27, Jesus is in one of these roving battles with the Pharisees and they're trying to undermine him and he's, he's got them on the issue Uh, He's got them on the ropes with the issue of of belief and unbelief. And here's what he says. Uh, He says in verse 27, John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. My people, the ones who belong to me, know me. Uh, They follow me. I give them eternal life. They're born again. And they shall never perish. Wow, that sounds great, Jesus. Could they lose it? No one can snatch them out of my hand, he says. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus says, I got you and the Father's got you. It's like a double grip. If, if you belong to the Lord, no one's prying you out of his hands. Not even you. Not even you or I can pry ourselves out of his hands. Jesus says that in 10. Now You can make the same case from, uh, in John 10. Romans, I think, bears this out as well. So when we read Hebrews, we have to understand it's not saying that we're in danger of losing our salvation. But here's what what the real danger is. Here's the danger. Hebrews is talking about the danger of never being saved in the first place, but thinking you are. That's the danger. That's the danger. And I got to say at this point, From our side, experientially, sometimes it feels the same, which is why the questions get asked. Uh, But that's really what it's pressing on. The danger isn't that you're a genuinely born-again person and might lose that and go back to being spiritually dead. The danger is that I would deceive myself into thinking I'm a follower of Jesus or thinking my eternal uh, security is all set just because I said a prayer or I did this or I did that when, in fact, I'm I'm not his. I'm not genuinely saved. That helps us understand verse 14. I've kind of haven't addressed verse 14 yet because this is one of those. I was studying verse 14 this week and I was like, maybe I am an Arminian. <laughs> I wasn't, I promise. But, uh, but you read verse 14 and it sounds like that's what it's saying. Uh, verse 14, i got to get the right chapter here. Verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That sort of sounds like you could lose your salvation, but that's not what he's saying. And one of the commentaries I'm, I'm using this was super helpful. The guy simply said, that verse is descriptive, not conditional. It's descriptive, not conditional. And, and that's a really great way to describe it. The author of Hebrews is not saying we become genuine believers if we hold firm to our faith. Right? So you got you that would be works righteousness. That would be you and me doing something to make ourselves saved. That would be conditional. Our salvation is conditional, not on him, but on ourselves. That's not what it's saying. This is simply descriptive. He's saying this is what genuine believers do. How do you know a genuine believer? They, they hold on to their faith. It's, it's like the, the fruit from the tree sort of a thing. You know it's an apple tree because it bears apples. If you've got bananas growing on that thing, it's not an apple tree. It, it's that idea. So it's, it's, it's the biblical principle. The word's not used here, but it's the biblical principle of knowing them by their fruit. And so it's descriptive. Uh, people who belong to Jesus will follow Jesus, and they won't be torn away. They'll struggle. We'll will hit bumpy spots. We'll maybe in a really dark dark night of the soul, we might think of quitting, but we won't. We'll hold fast to Him, and so that's the the exhortation here: hold firm, hold firm to your faith. Don't go back like Israel did, right? or, or wanted to do. Don't go back to a life of sin and unbelief. Instead live out the genuine, genuineness of your salvation by going forward, pressing forward in your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. So, so that I, begins to, to work on that question we'll have to keep coming back to. No, we can't lose our salvation, but it is incumbent upon us to, to, to prove, to live out proving the, the, the genuineness of our faith by clinging to him, by staying fast to him, by his grace. So how do we do this? How do we prevent spiritual heart disease? It's dangerous. What's the remedy? How are we going to help? What help do we have? The answer that this text gives us is that we help each other. We help each other. That's this text's answer. Uh, The best way to keep our hearts from becoming hardened in unbelief is to help each other keep a healthy heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's surprising. I think that's surprising. It's surprising because you would expect a list of spiritual disciplines... If you asked me, off the cuff, what do I need to do to keep my heart from becoming hard? I might say, pray more. Pray more, read the Bible more, memorize more scriptures, share your faith with more people. That keeps it fresh for you. Right? If you asked me that and I wasn't thinking about Hebrews, I, that might be what I would say. But that is not what this text says. This passage says, no, you help each other. And that's verse 13. Uh, Verses 12 and 13 are the heart of this passage. And uh, let me just read them again. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So there's that. Here's what you do instead. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be burdened by the deceitfulness of sin. So verse 12, we've already talked about this. Verse 12 tells us what to watch out for. Verse 13 tells us how to do it. Here's how we're going to watch out for this and guard ourselves against it. We're going to exhort one another. Exhort one another. Another translation says encourage each other. Uh, the word means, uh, it's the word for call along one's side. So call someone along your side. And so if it's us doing it for someone else, we're going alongside someone else, specifically to help them. It's a word that means to help, to help or, or aid, to help somebody. So how do we prevent spiritual heart disease? We help each other. We help each other. We don't abandon one another in the fight against uh, unbelief. You know, hey, good luck. Hope that works out for you. No, we help one another. We help one another. What's more, it's integrated into our lives. It's a regular part of our lives. It's not a one-time thing. The author, he kind of, it's like a drum that he's beating here to help us see this. Uh, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, right? And that's a poetic way of saying all the time because it's always called today, right? Today is today. Tomorrow, today won't be today. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Today will be yesterday, tomorrow, right? Uh, and tomorrow will be today. It's a way of saying all the time. Do it all the time. Not every waking moment, but, but integrated into our lives. That's, that's the idea here. And so this exhort one another, help one another. He's saying this is, this, is, this is how Christians live. For all the days we have left, from the day we become a Christian, we, we help one another do this thing. I want to give you a list uh, here at the end. This is the last thing I want to do, and then we'll, we'll transition into communion. But what I want to give you is a list of four ways to help each other. Four ways to help each other uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in our resistance against unbelief. Number one, uh, corporate worship. You're doing it right now. You're doing it right now. That's why I started here. I wanted us to all start with a win. Uh, we're, we're doing it right now. The, what, this thing we do on Sunday mornings is what the author's talking about. It's why Hebrews ten twenty five is going to come back to this, and it's going to say, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Christians meet together. We meet together. It's what we do. We meet together, and, and we meet. It's not the only time we meet together, but we meet together for worship. It's one of those things Christians do. It's, it's, I don't know how to put it. It's in the DNA. It's, it's, it's wired into the system. It's what Christians do. And there's an exhorting sense to it. It's not the only reason, but like, well, obviously what I'm doing right now is exhorting. Right? Whenever anyone preaches a sermon, we're exhorting each other with that sermon. The music is part of it too. right? When I always think of worship music, I think of it as vertical and horizontal. Right So when we're singing, we're singing to God, and God loves to hear His praises, uh, and that's all over the place in the scriptures. Uh, but there's also a horizontal component to, to worship. We're testifying to each other and reminding each other of how awesome He is and how great right, We sang it before, He's faithful and all, he's great, all these things we sing. There's a testimonial aspect to that. Right? We are telling each other what God is like. And so uh, and again, the prayer times, all these things we do on a Sunday morning, we're exhorting uh, one another. And so our default setting, and everybody's got to miss a Sunday. I miss Sundays sometimes. I mean, you know, I mean, we're all going to, you know, things come up, but a Christian's default setting should be to be in worship. A Christian's default setting should be to be in worship. And you say, well, that's legalism. No, that's prevention, right? <laughs> if the doctor tells us, come in for a, you know, a cancer checkup or for a regular physical, we're going to be like, no, you're being so legalistic. No, that's prevention, That's what corporate worship is. Corporate worship is prevention. So that's that's one way we can help each other. Just keep doing what we're doing right now. Uh, Another way is, uh, I'm going to call them spiritual friendships. Call them accountability partners, mentoring, just call them friends. (laughs) But spiritual friendships, intentional spiritual friendships. It is impossible to be best friends with everyone. Right, that's true generically. That's true generally. We all learned that when we were five in kindergarten. Right, we, You can't be best friends with everyone. It's also true spiritually. Right, we, we cannot all have the same level of intimacy and connection with every person in the church. In fact, it would be inappropriate if we did. It, it really would. If you think about it, it would be inappropriate. But we should all have a few people. And I don't know how many people that is. You know, some people are highly relational. They've got a dozen of these. Some of us are not, and we've got like one or two. But, but wherever you are in that continuum, we, we all ought to have one or two or three or six, whatever it is, a, a short list of people who are helping us walk with Jesus. And we're helping them walk with Jesus. It's it's, it's a mutual sort of a thing. That's why this is what I'm describing here is bigger than just kind of mentoring. Um, Although mentoring, I think, comes under this sort of category. But but it's it's a two-way relationship. We're helping each other follow Jesus together. Uh, Our district superintendent, uh, the guy's name is Mike Shields. Mike likes to call these 2 a.m. friendships. 2 a.m. friendships, he calls them. These are the people you'd call at 2 in the morning if you really needed someone to pray for you. These are those folks. I'm not sure how, how accurate that actually works. If you try to call me at 2 a.m., my phone's going to be on mute. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, but uh, I'll, I'll get it first thing, I promise. But, but Mike is right. His principle is absolutely right. Um, we, we do well to have somebody who, you know, who's our go-to person. We all do well to have a few of those in our lives. People who pray for us, who stand with us, who call us out, maybe say something hard to us that nobody else uh, has, has the entryway to be able to say. Uh, and we need that ourselves, and we need to be that for, for somebody else. It's good for us. It helps us keep our hearts spiritually healthy. So, so that's a second one. For, for many of many people, many of us, that might be our spouse, right? And, and I think you know, some marriages, you know, there's no... Uh, every marriage not being the same. Whatever. It's not that every single marriage... But for many of us, one of those people might be our spouse. And I think that's a good thing if you can go for that and go after that. I think that would be healthy. But not only. Not only. We, we need those people in our lives. Number three. Small groups. Or life groups. Or community groups. Supper club, Bible study, prayer meeting... I, whatever you call it. Uh, actually, one of my goals this year, one of my kind of uh, leadership church goals is to just figure out what we call these things and, and make sure we all start calling them the same thing uh, because we have all of those in our church. We have all kinds of groups. Whatever we call them, they're really important. They're really, really important. Uh, and, and not just be, so, so we have a bunch of programs going on, they're important for our own spiritual health. Being part of an intentional small group of people is a great way to do Verse 13. Right? It's a great way to exhort one another as long as it's called today. It's a great way to build one another up in that way. So, so I would urge you to get involved in a group like that somehow. Right? A group where there is sharing and, and caring for one another going on. A group where you're studying scripture somehow together and, and applying it to, 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 your, to your lives together there in community. Uh, find a group like that. We've got a bunch of groups. If we don't have one that fits what you need, start one start one. I'm serious. Come talk to me. I'll, I'll get you me or uh, yeah, any of the elders really, but just me, I'm, I'm up front. Come talk to me and, and, and we'll, we'll get you set up with one because it's really valuable. It's really valuable to, to have something like that. Finally, uh, not another way. These, these four aren't, it's not an exhaustive list, but uh, a fourth way is kingdom work. Do ministry together. Do ministry together. Serve the Lord together. Uh, that's another way to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Now, this last one is especially helpful for a lot of us men, and, and I'm sure there are women who think this way too. I, I'm not trying to be, you know, stereotypical or whatever. I'm sh- I'm sure there are some women who are wired like this, but it tends to especially be true for men. You know, some of us guys, you, you tell us to get in a group with eight people and share our struggles, and we're like oh, look at the time, you know, it's like, I, I think the game's on. You're like, oh, what game? I don't care which game. I, I, I'm just, I, I gotta go. Uh, a lot of us guys are like that. I, I'm kind of like that. I have to confess that to you, you know, kind of getting in a group of, a small group of people and sharing my, my emotions is not uh, the most appealing thing. Uh, but give us something to do. Give us something to do, something to build. Uh, Maybe a service project that helps the community. Maybe a team to serve on. You know, we're going to pull off some important event. Give us something like that, and we'll jump right in. We really are. We jump right in. And along the way, see, here's here's the secret sauce. Along the way, we might just share some of those struggles. Right? As we're working together shoulder to shoulder, side by side, you know, as you're building something maybe, and it's like, yeah, yeah, my, my marriage is a little bumpy right now. We've been in a rough patch. or you know, Being single is tough. I've been struggling more lately with just feeling lonely, and that's hard. Or, or parenting is so hard. I thought we had this all figured out, and, and, uh, and then they, you know, she turned 12, and you know, something like that. I, those sorts of struggles. I've got this thing I'm dealing with at work. It's driving me crazy. I don't know how to fix it. Have you ever faced something like that? Those kind of soft conversations happen, and they were never the main point. Right? The main point was to build the thing or pull off the project, but verse 13 happened anyway. Verse 13 happened anyway. We ended up exhorting one another uh, to, to follow Christ. We ended up helping one another follow Jesus, almost by accident, uh, but we did it. So those are some ideas, things we could get involved in um, if you are piqued at all, if the Holy Spirit's using this at all to show you something you need a little more in your life. Uh, to, to, to cling to him. Uh, maybe one of those four. Add, add one or two of those to, to your life if it's not already there. Uh, it'll cost you. It'll cost in your calendar. It'll cost some effort, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it in the long run. Well, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together now. And uh, let me just say a few words before I, I call the service forward, before I do. Um, this is another way we do what we just talked about. right? When we share the Lord's Supper together, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are exhorting one another right we really are in this case the exhortation takes the form of a reminder uh, right but but it's we're exhorting right we, i mean we always i often when i lead communion usually the the focus is on myself right so and i'll tell you you know you're reminding yourself that jesus died for you that jesus paid the penalty for your sins but you know what we're also reminding each other right is is you watch me and i watch you and you know and, and we just sit there and pass the elements among each other we're reminding each other This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus died in our place. He took our punishment upon himself. And so we're going to exhort one another now by by sharing the Lord's Supper together. Before, uh, one other thing I wanted to do, though, is is I just wanted to invite anyone. If if there's anyone here today who, when I got to that middle part, and, and, I you know, yeah, we're not talking about losing our salvation, but we are talking about kind of playing church and never really being saved in the first place. If that grabs anybody. And you're like, wait, that might be me. Um, today's the day to get sure. Today's the day to get sure about where you're at with Jesus. That's actually in this text. You probably caught that as well when Laura read it for us before. Uh, verse, uh, there's this emphasis in, in the, this word today. It's almost like a series of hooks that the author hangs it all on. Today, if you hear his voice, exhort one another today, verse 15, uh, today, if you hear his voice, his point is take care of this now do it today. Don't don't put it off to tomorrow. Guard your heart today. Make your salvation sure today. And so if you're here today and you've never actually trusted in Jesus Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like the Israelites did. So I'm going to lead us in prayer and uh, i'm going to start i'm just i do this once in a while i'm going to i'm going to give thanks to the lord for what he's done for us and then if there's anyone here who is not done that and would like to i'm just going to give you a model prayer you can pray it there in your heart you can come talk to me afterwards um but if, if you would like to make sure with the lord then I'll, I'll give you some words for how you you would be able to do that and then i'll come to the rest of us and lead the rest of us in a time of, of just of preparatory confession and repentance before the lord and then um, the man will come forward after that so let's pray lord we thank you Oh, we thank you and we praise you. You are so good to us. You are so patient. Uh, That's the thing. You're so patient. You're so loving. You you were that way with Israel. You're that way with us. And we thank you for that. Uh, We we praise you for your your mercy, your grace, your love for us, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I just want to, for anyone here who has, has not taken that step with Jesus. Maybe they've been around churches for decades years anyway and and just have never actually surrendered to you. Um, If if that's you today you could pray like this Uh, Jesus today is the day I confess that I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me I put my trust in you. I receive you as savior I ask you to take control of my life please help me now to live for you and to hold fast to you. Thank you, Lord. For everyone else, Lord, we bow our heads before you and we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the confirmation uh, of, uh, the confirmation of scripture that no matter how we stumble, no matter how we fall, and some of us have fallen hard and we pick ourselves up and we're covered in spiritual mud, but you've never abandoned us. Uh, and, uh, We're just reminded of what David prayed in Psalm 51 that a broken and contrite heart you do not despise. Thank you for that. Thank you that you are so gracious with us when we repent. And so we would pray now, before we eat the bread and drink the cup, we pray with David again from Psalm 139. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. We just take a few moments of quiet right now, Lord, to have your holy spirit to invite your holy spirit just to search us if there's anything we've been uh, holding on to have not confessed or have have refused to turn away from would you show us that thing now that we might turn from it and turn to you